to the Iconic Podcast. This episode was recorded live at our 2021 symposium. Each year, Icon holds an academic symposium which allows third-year students an opportunity to deliver a public talk based on their own personal research projects. In December 2021, six students were selected nationally to present their research. Alexandra's talk is entitled, Steps Towards a Theory of the Political Mind. Enjoy. Good evening, peers, teachers and affiliates of the Icon Institute. This presentation is the culmination of the many questions I have been contemplating about power, politics and psychotherapy. Before beginning, I would like to thank all of those closest to me for accommodating, inspiring and suffering this pursuit. Finally, my thinking is, of course, indebted to all of the theorists, philosophers, practitioners and scientists who have come before me and of the greatest importance and honourable debt to Dr. Trail Dowie, without whom these thoughts would not be possible. So, bringing up politics at the dinner table can at its best add a welcome spark to conversation and at its worst send the evening up in flames. So the question must be asked, why are politics so personal? In search of an answer, I have reviewed the vast academic literature which addresses the relationship between psychological organisation and political orientation, beginning with the empirical studies of political psychology. Capturing the far right of the political spectrum, Adorno and his colleagues from the Berkeley School utilised psychoanalysis and empirical measures to study authoritarianism in the wake of World War II. They provided some heavily criticised research which characterised authoritarian individuals as having rigid psychological defences of repression and projection, aggressive feelings towards authority, a tendency to conform to the status quo, an admiration and seeking of power, and an avoidance of ambiguity. Altmaier, 20 years later, utilised more valid empirical measures to study authoritarianism. And based on social learning theory, he concluded that authoritarian individuals are highly submissive towards authority, pervasively aggressive, and adhere to social norms. In regards to conservative voters, John T. Jost and his colleagues combined social psychology, temperament, cognitive science, in an approach named motivated social cognition. They found that conservative individuals exhibit significant levels of death anxiety, dogmatism, an intolerance of ambiguity, a need for structure, order and cognitive closure. Based on these findings, they suggest that individuals are motivated by their fear of the unknown to vote conservatively. This research seems to fit with the findings from temperament studies which uh, identify that conservative individuals are high in the trait of conscientiousness, and also findings from Hyatt's research on moral foundations, which correlates conservatism with a concern for in-group loyalty, respect for authority, and valuing purity. On the left, the research is a little bit more flattering. Liberal voters have been found to be temperamentally high in the trait of openness, and are morally characterised by a concern for fairness and a reduction of harm. Although not without controversy, research also leans towards identifying that liberal voters are more empathetic than conservative individuals. Now, this research may deeply offend or deeply satisfy your particular political bias, but before we get ahead of ourselves, 
it needs to be acknowledged that these results are largely inconclusive. Firstly, even the most rigorous studies evidence at best a moderate level of statistical significance, making conclusions unreliable. Secondly, there are numerous explanatory models across political psychology, which means there can be no decisive insights about the causality of political orientations. Thirdly, it may be necessary to consider that the inductive or deductive reasoning which has been utilised in these studies is completely inappropriate for the study of human behaviour and tells us little to nothing about the mechanisms of the human mind. Gregory Bateson may be the greatest pioneer of this line of thought. He suggests that the identification and study of a behaviour as caused by an objectifiable trait within the individual ignores the complex relational patterns which constitute the emergence of an observed behaviour. The trait we call pride, for example, is actually composed of a behaviour followed by conditional admiration and then a response from the receiver, maybe then more praise and so on. Pride is a contextually acquired state emerging from intersubjectivity. Following Bateson, studying the psychological traits correlated with political ideologies ignores the primacy of systemic interactions which lead to the emergence of an individual's political orientation. Neither the trait of empathy or conservatism explains why an individual votes for a given party. Instead, I propose that the field of political psychology would benefit from a clearer exposition of the dynamics which occur across the diffuse boundaries of the political and the personal. We need to look at a different level of logical type through looking at the dynamic interaction of two entities, two systems with which we can gain binocular vision. Although I have had uh, neither the time nor the mental tenacity to offer such an encompassing theory, I intuit, as Bateson says, a skeleton of truth about the systemic interactions occurring across the political and the personal. And I will now humbly dare to offer some tentative suggestions as to what bones may contribute to this skeleton. To understand how the political system infiltrates the psychological system, we may take on the ideas of Michel Foucault, his thesis would suggest that rather than considering political ideologies as conscious, consciously constructed ideas and ideals which our individuals consciously choose, we should consider that liberalism, conservatism and communism are only rationalisations for systems of power which operate through largely unconscious mechanisms. Foucault provides the example of neoliberalism, um, which emerged through a new biopower, whereby scientific technologies afforded the measurement of population demographics, such as birth rate, gender and age. The population then became the object of neoliberal ideology, which rationalises the control of individuals based on normative conceptions of human well-being. Neoliberalism thus infiltrates the individual mind not only through political ideas or coercive measures such as the law, but through the positive ideas an individual has about the value of personal and national health and well-being. As philosopher Michel Surtout poetically suggests, the law endlessly writes itself on bodies. It engraves itself on parchments made with the skin of its subjects. It articulates them in its juridical corpus. It makes them its book.
these French philosophers would suggest that we do not take on political ideas, but we become them. Following, to understand how the political seeps into the personal is a complex, insidious and delicate task which Foucauldian analysis could contain. So whilst Foucault most astutely outlines how the political enters the personal, he does not provide any answers as to how psychological organisation contributes to the development of a political orientation, largely because he doesn't believe that there is an innate subjectivity prior to enculturation. This is where the theories of mind from psychotherapy may offer a hand in our skeleton. Although my psych- most psychotherapeutic theories now acknowledge the profound impact the environment and culture have upon the individual, many esteemed theorists believe there are some foundational, often biological features of the mind and self. Daniel J. Siegel summarizes that the brain is experience expectant and that in early development, external information is processed through an innate biological structure. Alan Shaw, attachment theorists, Piaget and many other prominent theorists contend that there are sensate, affective and representational levels of the mind, which are formed in early development and remain relatively stable over a lifetime. These core structures of the mind and self can be said to be free of the forces of enculturation which Foucault speaks of. Early psychological development can thus be said to have lasting effects on information processing and decision making thereby influencing an individual's interest in and adherence to a political uh, orientation. Finally, I would propose that to begin to understand how psychological organisation relates to political orientation, we must identify, uh, we must unify Foucault's ideas about how political discourses infiltrate and define the individual with developmental psychotherapy's insights about how psychological tendencies may lead to particular political orientations and motivations. The current research on traits from political psychology could herein be integrated within a unifying model of causality, leading to a systemic model of the political mind. While such a totalizing theory does remain for now on a distant horizon of future study, I hope we have at least gained an appreciation for the diffuse boundaries which exist between systems of the political and the personal. If not, psychoanalytic philosopher Noelle McAfee may express this more cogently when she writes, The mother may hold the infant, but she too has been held, or not, and shaped by the larger environs. The facilitating environment is already thoroughly social and historical. When I enter into political crucibles of decision-making, when are the desires I am advocating for my own and when are they those I have been cultivated to hold? McAfee highlights the indivisibility of politics and individual minds as the process of development is always mediated by a political environment which supports, impinges upon or frames psychological development. This insight has obvious implications for the practice of psychotherapy. As we have understood that the political is personal and the personal is political, we cannot avoid the dynamics of power and politics in therapeutic practice. Psychotherapy must instead be understood as a microcosm of the macropolitics, whereby the political power of discourse is being enacted. 
On the subtlest level, this occurs through the social dynamics of power in the therapeutic space, the implicit sensate and affective information from the therapist, which may disclose the earliest indications of their political orientation. Of greater concern may be the hidden political allegiances implicit in the theories of psychotherapy. Let us take, for example, psychodynamic theory, which underpins many of the theories favoured at the Icon Institute, including attachment and mentalization. Gal Gerson analyzes the continuity across psychodynamic theory and advanced liberalism, which emerged in England at the same time. Both discourses were revolutionary in their fields for highlighting that uh, for highlighting that healthy individuality is afforded by and predicated on healthy social relationships. As Foucauldian analysis would highlight, there is a continuity between these two discourses, which is likely the result of shared power relations whereby the technologies and knowledge of one discourse inspired or co-emerged with the creation of the other. So if one is to practice psychodynamic therapy, the ideal therapeutic outcome could in fact be the ideal citizen of an advanced liberal society. This hermeneutic analysis could be applied to the whole field of psychotherapy and will surely come into contact with the recognition that when one enters the holding environment of psychotherapy, there is always undeniably a vision of the ideal citizen which is being promoted, the constitution of what we call the political mind. This symposium may thus be a call to self-inquiry, a garnering of one's political being, for it is only through critically reflecting upon the antecedents of one's political orientation and determining whether one's political beliefs are in fact their own Will a therapist be capable of consciously representing their political orientation in therapeutic practice? Rather than acquiescing to the myth that the private worlds explored in the therapeutic encounter are immune to political concerns, we must know our political minds or risk propagating powers which are not of our choosing. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another iconic podcast. Stay tuned for more. It's always iconic.